Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode 20 of the Footmarks podcast. I'm your host Param Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter and with me of course is Jared Kimber who you can find pretty much everywhere. And uh, we talk about Jared's latest obsessions in this show and the latest one is the elusive Indian number 4. I suppose that's everyone's obsession because if I go to social media or even mainstream media including top pundits within India outside of India even ESPN Crick Info obsesses over this Rohit Sharma has talked about it in press conferences so the Indian number 4 is a huge issue apparently supposed issue because as we're going to talk in this show it is isn't that big of an issue but even i someone like me was absolutely sold on the fact that this is an issue and i would even go and talk about it right so why is this problem blown out of proportion jared i think it was essentially what happened is that the last world cup they didn't make a lot of runs at number 4 right and then coming in they had i think it was a 17 innings period where they didn't score any 50s um hmm. i can't remember from maybe from the start of the year through to september and and i think when that happened um people just kind of took it and took those two things and ran with it there's always been a perception i think as well that india uh, someone put a really interesting comment up they said that the, almost every single year coming into a world cup indians claim they don't have a number 4 which which mm. was really interesting to me and he said the one year that he thought that they didn't moan about it was 2011 when they won mm. and when you looked at the numbers you know pakistan and because I, I, i think of asian cricket as being very strong in that 4 5 position right yeah. you know that sort of inzy position you know aravind de silva these sorts of Mia guys oh, yeah exactly me and dad basically yeah. invented that format right mm. and so for me I, i've always looked at it as strength and i don't think i'd ever really factored in that india just hadn't been as good right but yeah. when i looked historically they didn't have as many good players so i think if you go historically they haven't had as many good players as they probably should have I think. Oh, what the hell's that? I don't know how that happened, but did I just you know. put an emoji on the screen? So anyone listening to the podcast, like, what's yeah. happening? I put my thumb up, <laughs> and an emoji came up. Uh, Paul, Mook. maybe it's your new laptop. Oh my god! Or maybe it's AI. Maybe it's the robots. Should have listened to Stuart Broad. Um, maybe <laughs> I've got a robotic thumb. Um, so <laughs> when you look into it, they haven't had the number fours that some of those mm. other countries have had. So you've got now history. You've got 2019 World Cup, and then you had what quite obviously um, has happened here, which was a bit of a uh, a bad run, and, and injuries played a part, and then trying a bunch of different people played a part. But I think those three things came together, and you know, people like you and me, I mean, we follow Indian cricket really closely, hmm. right? But we don't follow it. Sometimes someone will say something to me from a cricket team. and you know from a fan group like a pakistani fan will say it or a new zealand fan will say something and i'll be like what really and mm-hmm. i think well they're watching so much more of their team than i am right you know i'm trying to watch i mean what am i trying to watch like 25 different teams around the world like in my job mm-hmm. and sometimes you just think oh i've just missed something here and they know something i don't and i just looked this up i was actually going to write an article if we're being honest on why india has a problem batting at number 4 <laughs> and then i started looking into it you were on the group chat with me you know yeah. um ari and shawn and everyone and suddenly i was like oh my god i think i found the opposite mm. yeah i i remember we even spoke of this on multiple uncovered podcasts and i was so convinced that this is an issue for india but then of course your findings 
have not like they haven't said that India is the best at it, but we'll we'll get into all of that. You spoke about the historical aspect of it, right? And Asian sides producing good number fours. I can name plenty, right? We spoke about Inzi, Miyada, Sangakara, Jevardhane, all of these guys were in yeah. the middle order. But India in the top 10 has only one name, which is Muhammad Azruddin. But then of course, Rahul Dravid played a part over there for India over the years. He was quite good. And Yuvraj Singh was an absolute outlier, right? He mm. was very, very good as a number four. But do you think that over the last few years, especially since Yuvraj retired or whatever, India have such a fabled top three. Even over the years, throughout history, India has had such a fabled top three for the most part, right? That maybe because of that, the number fours haven't scored as many runs? I think that India traditionally is a much better country at finding top three than Pakistan, Sri Lanka. You can throw Bangladesh in mm. there now as well. Though, for whatever mm. reason, those countries seem to be very good at finding middle-order players. And I think that India specifically um, has been better at finding top three. I don't know why that is. It could just be dumb luck, you know, conditions of wickets, whatever, new ball bowlers, I don't know. And I, and I think because of that, what actually starts to happen, you get to a point of you start to promote the thing that you are good at rather than actually working out what should happen. So say Sewag is a perfect example of, you know, he's uh, he's thrust into the top when he's an opener um, and ends up, you know, making his mark um, in that sort of position. But he only did that because that particular era, India had so many more middle over uh, players. But think about their, think about what India has been doing since, what, Sachin started opening? Sachin, mm-hmm. Ganguly. You know, um, Saywag, all these different guys, you know, going up to the top of the order over and over again. In Inzi, pretty, I know he's batted higher, but Inzi mm. was pretty much your middle order player. Javed Mindad, you're a middle order player. Aravinda, you're a middle yeah. order player. And they have stuck with it. So there is a mindset perception, I think, that is different in Indian cricket. And I think, to be honest, if you're being really, really honest, it makes more sense to do what India does than what the other teams do. Yeah, right? because no, no, absolutely. You want your top three to be much better than your next three, but it's not how everyone in, in all parts of Asian cricket think. No, I remember growing up, you know, uh, supporting Pakistan. And, you know, I was always of the opinion, you know, a lot of people were, that why don't Pakistan's big players come and bat up the order? Of course, it worked for them at times to come in the lower order. But anyway, we're talking about India and number four, so we're going to go back to that. Now, whenever this comes up in the news or discourse or some sort of other podcast like ours, you know, people always bring up Yuvraj Singh's name. He is that one name that always pops up, is almost synonymous with the India and number four conversation. And like I mentioned earlier and in your piece, Yuvraj is an outlier. You know, there's Viv Richards, Oyen Morgan, A.B. Davidius, and then there's Yuvraj because he was just that dynamic player who offered so much at number four. So you do, do you think that, you know, his skill set was such and his record was such that it's a fair assessment to say that India haven't found a number four after Yuvraj because he's not easy to replicate? I think there's a little bit of nostalgia about Yuvraj. And I think the way that he plays means he's remembered more fondly. You're right, he's an outlier. Basically, mm. the four guys that you just mentioned there, they are the four fastest scoring number fours for their time, right? Yeah. And, you know, Viv is on a different planet, you know, uh, and then you've then you've sort of got um, Yuvraj, who doesn't average anywhere near as much as Viv or Owen Morgan or uh, who's the other one? Davies is the other one? AB, AB yeah. Davies, yeah. He does, doesn't... Um, Averages much uh, with the bat. He only averages 32, 33, I think. It's not a particularly high average, but because he scores so quickly, it's so noticeable what he does. And he could do that role in that team because they had 
Sachin and Sewag and Raul Dravid and Ganguly and all these other players, mm-hmm. you know, around him, um, and 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 batting behind him as well. So he had the, yeah, and and Tony coming under him after. Well, that's what I mean. Point, Eventually, you know? Tony comes in yeah. as well, right? So there's so hmm. much other skills there, and so he plays that. But I think, I I think you'd be hard pressed to say he's one of the best number fours to ever play ODI cricket. Right, hmm. but he is one of the more memorable ones, and so I think yeah. that is getting confused with him being absolutely exceptional. And he certainly had some years when he was brilliant, but it, he wasn't as consistent um, in that. So I do think there's just a little bit of nostalgia hmm. for. I mean, Yuvraj was, you know, I I wrote one line once about him, and I don't even know where I wrote this line, but I said that when he hits the ball, it's like it rebounds off his aura or his ego. I can't remember. I said mm. one of those two things. Because he doesn't time the ball like other players. And it's very hard to see him. And and go, like he's going to be, people are going to be talking about him for a very long time over players who are better than him. Right? Yeah. And he is that kind of person. But honestly, when I went back, I was like, he was an above average number four, but he certainly wasn't anywhere near some of those names we were mentioning before. He, you know, he wasn't anything like Aravinda or Javed Dad or Inzi or mm. many of those other number fours who were absolutely exceptional. Like, if you were to compare his record to Ross Taylor, like, I think you would pick Ross Taylor nine times out of ten for that position. So it's a very... I think you would pick Ross Taylor above a lot of players nine times out of ten or seven times out of ten because Ross Taylor was stellar at least in the latter half of his career. But I wonder if, before he, Yeah, but I yeah. wonder if you ask Indian fans who was better, I think a lot of them would have thought it was Yuvraj. And I, I don't mm. think there's any real um, proof of that other than if you're just going on strike rate alone. And I do think that that was noticeable too because if you look at the period he played, we hadn't had an attacking number four in a very, yeah. very long time. Right, so Javed and Inzi. Inzi obviously played some of the most attacking innings of all time, but Inzi got very defensive mm. um, towards the end there. Uh, Viv Richards, you know, he quits in 1991, I think. You know, so there's a long gap, and and Owen Morgan and and De Villiers, they come after you, right? So mm. I remember in 2003, first seeing him and going, "Oh, this guy is not like other players. Like he is a legitimately mm. exciting player." I get it. But I do think when you go forensically through, there's a little bit of sepia in there. Yeah. And I mean, he won India World Cup. Mm-hmm. He was the player of the tournament. So that's got to count for yeah. something. No, you, yeah, you, exactly. You, you mentioned Ross Taylor, right? And how he was so good for a prolonged period of time for New Zealand at number four. Probably the best number four of his generation. And he retires and New Zealand all of a sudden have a slump at that position. And India probably went through something similar when Yuvraj died. Even though Yuvraj post-cancer wasn't the same beast that he once was, right? Mm. Let's be honest about that. But maybe there's a bit of that as well? Yeah, I think um, Rahane is probably the guy they want to do that role, but he plays it in a very different way to Yuvraj anyway. And he does fine in the 2015 World Cup when Yuvraj was mm. um, you know, out of the game at that point. Um, so yeah, I do think, I do think from that um, point of view that it is a little bit I think it's a little bit overblown, but I think because mm. of what happens in 2019, where they try four different players and or five different players, oh, it's a lot of players at number four, yeah. and they all fail. Um, it, it's it is looked to, and what you would see is that after Yuvraj, so he, I think he stopped playing regularly in 2013, so around the Champions Trophy, or pretty much before, around that period. From mm. then on, they go through a lot of different players, so they are not finding someone who is automatically available for that spot. Right now, mm. part of the reason they're doing that, of course, is because Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma could both bat at number four. They both get sucked yeah. into other positions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- it's not that they don't have anyone who could bat at number four. 
the guy that they actually have to bat at number four um, is needed opening the batting on number three, which goes back to our, our original um, thing, right? Other teams would not... I mean, Rohit Sharma is a natural number four in one-day cricket, right? He would be a fantastic yeah. player in that role. But he gets sucked into the team at the top of the order, which quite often happens, makes the double hundreds. That's, that's it. Mm. You're never moving back to number four after that, are you? So... Yes, they didn't have it, but part of the reason they didn't have it is because they were stealing those players who could have played that role for other positions. Oh, that's a fantastic point. And, you know, I mean, one could argue that Rohit the opener was where he truly came of age mm. in the format because prior to that, Rohit Sharma didn't have a stellar ODI record. In fact, he has scored most of his runs after the age of 30. There's a there's a fact check in there. Whoever's listening in can, can go check that uh, stat. One you thing I would add there, just yeah. because... It's, it's the whole Shane Watson uh, became a good Australian player by opening the batting. Shane Watson mm. came back into the Australian team when he was fully in form, right? And almost any position that Shane Watson would have gone into at that point, I think he would have done quite well at. And it's a bit the same with Rohit. When Rohit came back in, he was mature and ready. Mm. And it's like, yeah, he could bat at number eight and he might have averaged 60, right? <laughs> like you do have to factor those things in. When he was at his absolute best, he was opening. Doesn't mean that <laughs> opening made him his absolute best. But either way, once he made those runs up the order, they couldn't fill that other position. So it is a different way of looking at it than I think some other teams do. Yeah, no, a very, very valid point. And if you talk about Rohit Sharma, you go back to like the first or second IPL when he was playing for the Deccan Chargers. He was a middle to lower order batter, right? Even in the first inaugural uh, 2007 T20 World Cup, he wasn't playing in the top order. So there's some food for thought. You mentioned Ajinkya Rahane in the 2015 World Cup. Now, Rahane averaged over 40, just a touch over 40, and his strike rate was in the low 80s, right? Now, might be a bit slow, and those aren't stellar numbers, but they aren't god-awful, right? No. Particularly in that era. So, I mean, it's not like they had a massive issue. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. No, and I and I think what happens in so in, in 2015, those are basically the same as Joe Root's numbers. I think Joe Root might average slightly yeah. less than him with, at a slightly mm -hmm. quicker strike rate. But I, I don't think there's anything particularly uh, wrong with that. I think that if we're being honest, the way that T20 cricket was moving forward, Rahane was not particularly uh, a natural one-day player. Mm. Um, but he averaged 35 with a strike rate of 78. If he gets that strike rate up to about, 85, 88. Hmm. He probably has a career. But we, I think we know that Rahane was the sort of player that they could trust in somewhere like Australia, right? Yeah. Can play overseas, likes playing quick bowlers and everything else. Hmm. The problem with Rahane is that he was a much better player of pace by the time he was in his late 20s than he was of spin. Hmm. 
the number four position, you need to be a good player of spin. So True. I think in that case, he wasn't the ideal um, player for it. But in 2015, because he was so good against pace, he probably had the ability to to do to do that job pretty well. I think he was only. I, I, I'm, I saw him open the batting actually in his first ODI. I think it was in Durham. Hmm. He was a very, very talented player, but I never saw him and thought, this is a guy who's going to be a one-day player. I always thought mm. that he would struggle at that level. Look, he played 90 games. He's got a decent average, but too low a strike rate. Um, and he never really made that position his own. But if you're thinking he's a backup that you play in 2015 and 2019, batting at number four, he'd be a fine player in, in those kinds of situations. Yeah, and then of course there's the Ambati Raidu question. A lot of people who might be listening in would be saying that, well, you had Raidu and you didn't use him, but that's that probably requires a separate podcast altogether. Now, let's talk about post-Yuvraj India. They tried a plethora of options at number four, right? They were trying pretty much everyone over there. No one really got any consistent opportunity at that position. Mm. Do you think that that was the selectors and the team management dropping the ball? Because had they given someone a consistent run of games, Maybe someone would have turned up. I think Kale Raul, um, I'm, hmm. I'm trying to think of what his age was around that 2014, 2015 period. Hmm. If you'd given him two or three years and just said, we're coming into the 2019 World Cup, we're going to give you as much opportunity to play in this as possible. Uh, if you if you get to the point where we're not, we don't quite think you're ready, we'll just take you out and, and we'll bring hmm. you back in. I think that probably would have been a better option. Instead, what seems to have happened is because of injuries, because of form. I don't think Indian selection was particularly good um, up until very recently. I think it's got a little mm. bit better. And I think it was a little bit more. The media is saying this guy's no good. We're going to yank them out. Whereas I think they're a little bit better now going, no, no, this guy's good. We're, we're going we're gonna, to you know, give him some time like they did with Rahane and um, like they've done with Kale Raul at times and other things. I think that mm. if they had a more mature selection policy, they probably just would have found someone. And the reason I say that is there's, where I do, KL Raul, um, I'm trying to think, of, you know, there's so many players out there that could have done that, essentially Samson, right? There's so many players who could have done that role at a, let's say, let's say none of them were great. They all would have done it at least good enough that would have given, um, uh, you know, the team a, a better base to go from. I think looking for that constant gold medal decision meant they probably missed out on a lot of silver and bronze type level players. Yeah, I remember there was also this notion that Dhoni should come and bat at four. I remember Gautam Gambhir used to say this a lot, that I don't think Dhoni should bat so low in the order. He should come up. But again, probably needs a separate podcast. I, I'm not anyway, sure Dhoni yeah. was ever good enough at playing spin to bat at number four in ODI cricket. Also, Dhoni was so good at batting in that lower middle yeah. order that why would you want to replace anyone over there? You know, like that was his role and he was just so damn good at it. He won India World Cup, you know, playing that role. Oh, well, he did come or elevate himself in the batting order on that occasion in that final. But anyway, I just think he was too good to be, you know, slotted in elsewhere. Anyway, uh, you also mentioned the 2019 World Cup and how India chopped and changed a lot with the, you know, the number four player and uh, ultimately paid the price as well, you could argue, because when they lost early wickets, they kind of folded versus New Zealand. Now, since that World Cup, they used 11 different players at number four, which is a touch too many. And, you know, they have a plethora of middle-order resources right now as well. It's a similar sort of situation that they have quite a lot of options. You've got KL Rahul, Shreya Sire, and you've got Ishan Kishan, who's shown that he can bat in the middle order, right? He can give you that bit of flexibility. So, do you think that for this World Cup campaign, India should just earmark one of these guys and give them that role that you will be our number four for the length of this tournament? 
Probably, yes. I think they'd be in a better situation if they gave it to one player. Unless that one player looks like they can't hit the ball off the square, I think that would hmm. be a far better option than than messing around with it. So the 11 players, I just want to mention that briefly because that came up a lot. Ari, who did the research, um, some of the research hmm. for this piece, he mentioned it a lot in his research. And, and I was like, my first question was, is that a lot? Because this is the sort of thing that happens a lot in Indian cricket. People get really, really fixated with something like, oh, you know, we've done this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that's four years. And you guys have played like 91 days or 81 days or whatever it is. Like, it's a lot of one-day <laughs> cricket. And then you go through it and you realize that actually they've had less turnover at the number four position than the majority of ODI sides in the entire world. Shout out to Ireland who had two um, players who played at number four <laughs> between World Cup. But everyone else had... Yeah, a lot of, of move. Australia had way more um, movement, um, and so did a lot of other teams. So, yeah, I do think from that perspective that again, that eleven number is a little bit different. But for the World Cup, what I would be saying is, it, this is when as selectors, and I think cricket selectors are really bad at this compared to some other sports, and I don't know why this is the case. But if you are sure that KL Roll is your number four, you pick him to be your number four all the way through, unless there's an emergency, right? Mm -hmm. Unless he literally can't do it because you have to back your own judgment at a certain point right now there are things that change like let's say he's not making any runs and the team needs someone more dynamic or they need a left hander or whatever that the, the case may be i understand those sorts of changes those are more tactical changes or energy changes but if he if he plays in seven or eight uh one day internationals in a row in the same position that is much better than chopping and changing all the way through and if they don't believe me they can look at their 2019 campaign right mm, when it didn't work true. so the only reason i would make changes would be based on um uh, matchups occasionally but not that much mm -hmm. um and the other one would be if you know they're like one for 200 or something and you want hardik to mm. come in and, and slap it around right yeah. other than that i would say this is our number four and that's what they're going to do yeah i mean all sides should be flexible with respect to the batting order in those yeah. situations in particular because sometimes you need a low-value wicket. Someone can just come in and have a crack at it and if it comes off, good enough. If not, then the regular batter will come. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do this time. But, okay, so we obviously mentioned that they played a lot of cricket in this period, right? And, of course, with the amount of experimentation that India does and the fact that they were dealt with a lot of injuries, I'm not particularly surprised that so many people played. But, you know, when you try so many people, you know, now Shreya Sire has a brilliant record as well. KL Rahul's there. Does that kind of, you know, make things difficult for you where, with respect to earmarking a sure shot uh, batter for number four? Yeah, I mean, I think the injuries are probably the bigger concern. Hmm. Shreya Sire had a great run batting at number four and then stops batting at number four for a long period of time, comes back, isn't in as good a form and struggles. They probably should have played Shreya Sire at number four and more one-day internationals, being that you don't really need to Rohit and Virat Kohli and whoever else, you know, that they're more sure of, right? They don't actually, mm. those players don't actually need to work out their role definition as much. Mm. Shreya Sire hasn't played a lot of list A cricket and because of COVID and everything else, it maybe didn't develop as much as they would have wanted him to. I think it would have been much better if they'd gone, okay, this is our guy. He's made a lot of runs. Let's do that. When he's fit, he's available. And who's our number one backup? And hmm. I think that what's been happening with India, we've seen this with Australia a lot before too, is this constant experimentation because England got ahead of both of them. 
And so maybe there's a magic number four. Maybe Sky's the magic number four and we'll put him up there. And, you know, maybe, you know, we could try, you know, Rishab hasn't made as many runs as we would like in one day cricket, but maybe if he bats, you know, all these sorts of things, which are fair. And I understand them. I, I don't think they're necessarily wrong ways of looking at it. But if it was a position that they felt they had a weakness in and they knew they had a young player who hadn't done it enough, I think that might have been a better option in that one spot. Experiment with your number threes, experiment with your number fives, experiment with your number sixes. You know, that's where you can play some shots. But I think if they were, if they did have any real concern, that's where they should have probably um, come out of this. And so here's our number one, here's our number two. And worst case scenario, let's say, I don't know, before Ishan came along, Sanji Sampson's our number three. We now know our depth chart, right? Hmm. I don't think they really knew that. And that is an issue. Yeah, I mean, depth charts are something that they should definitely be making, you know, especially when you have all these wealth of resources. In Indian cricket, you've got backups for every position. You know that you've got all bases covered on talent, but it's just game time and giving them that sort of confidence. And just for the record, for people who don't know, that Shreya Sire was second on the list of number four batters who had 700-plus runs since the last World Cup. He was averaging uh, more than 50, striking at run a ball, which are really good numbers Mm. for a number four. So, you know, maybe like Jared said, if they'd backed him more, that wouldn't be an issue Really, we'll, we'll come to know that it's it's a non-issue because I'm going to come to the interesting part, right? All the stat analysis that you did, you compared India number fours to number fours across the world and you saw that, you know, they were above average. Then you took the top cricketing nations and they were bang in the middle. But then you took a few out, you kept it just to Senna nations and you saw that India's number fours on some in some years were better and some years they were worse. It was like one of those crisscross sort of things and... You could say that they were just pretty much the same on average if, you, if you'd make a linear line or something across them. But here's where it gets interesting. You looked at them, uh, Indian number fours versus Australia number fours, and you could see that Indian number fours were far better than Australia. But we never hear in the Australian media that Australia has a number four problem. And this really amuses me. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it is to do with the way that I don't think the Australian media talk about the cricket issues as much. On top of that, the Australian media has now been really, not embarrassed, but, you know, people like me, we will say, look, these guys are not taking the World Cup seriously. They're not really planning for this. Mm. And then they come out and they win a World Cup in the UAE and we have to go, okay, um, we're still right and we know we're right, but they've won a World Cup. And mm. we know that really since 2015, Australia hasn't taken any event. Oh, actually, yeah, 2015, maybe 2013, they didn't take very seriously. 2017, they didn't take very seriously. Mm. 2019, they turned up at the last minute. Yeah, you know, T20 World Cups have been exactly the same, right? Yeah. But when they get there, they basically pick players and then they hope it will all work. And suddenly Marcus Stoinis and Matthew Wade kill Pakistan and they win and you know, go on to, <laughs> you know, win, win against New Zealand in the final. So that then, that then says that it's important it's almost pointless for Australian cricket media to focus over who the number four is going to be because hmm. they're going to pick someone good, right? Hmm. They're going to pick Manus, right? Yeah. You know, they're, <laughs> they're going to pick Cameron Green, um, whoever it's going to be. You know, Glenn Maxwell will bat it for, whatever the case may be. They will pick someone and they will be good. Hmm. And in some ways, it's a little bit silly. And I, I, you know, raised this with Australian cricket media before, we should still be putting them under pressure because when they fail, you all get on top of them. When they failed in that World, uh, World T20 or World Cup, uh, T20 World Cup in Australia, everyone really got on top of them. And I was like, well, where were all you guys beforehand? Because they were hmm. falling. They, they had no idea what they were doing beforehand and the, the signs were on the, on the wall. So Australia doesn't do that. But it also means that Australia is just doing probably what India will do, which is 
when mm. it comes down to it, what's India's worst case scenario? Shreyas, uh, they pick it between Ishan Kishan, who I'm not a huge fan of compared to other people, mm. but he's been magnificent recently. Shreyas Iyer, who's natural born ODI number four. And K- Plus, in India, he has a stellar record, right? And that's where the World Cup will be. Exactly. And K.L. Rahul, who has been absolute run machine in so many different positions, despite the fact many Indians mm. don't trust him. He's a fantastic player. And quite clearly, all of those three people, not to mention if Rishabh Khan, uh, Rishabh Khan, I almost said, well, I suppose it is Rishabh Khan <laughs> at the moment. If Rishabh Khan was available, he would also be in that position. Samshu Samson would be a fantastic number four. There's plenty of options, right? Mm. This isn't a case yeah. that India don't have any number fours. Right, And it's the same with Australia. Mm-hmm. I could say that I've got to worry about their number four position coming in, which is probably why Manus is in the squad, if we're being honest. right? Mm-hmm. And that's a very fair thing to say. What I can't say is that Australia don't have a player who can bat at number four. I would argue yeah. they don't know their roles very well, some of these guys. right? And that is mm-hmm. an issue. But I can't say that there is no one to bat in that position. In the same way for New Zealand, if you were to say New Zealand don't have a strike spinner, well, New Zealand do not have a strike spinner, right? They're, I'm not saying at this stage that Ishodi's going to turn up and he's suddenly going to take 20 wickets in this tournament. Chances are Ishodi's only going to play in a handful of games. He's already taken all of his wickets in one game. He might not even take any more, right? That is completely different, right? That's a situation. E- England don't have any death bowling. Those are, those are things you can't overcome. There isn't. They might bowl well in the death in this tournament, but they don't have good death bowling coming in. That's not the case with India and Australia at number fours. But I do think a lot of the discussion is just different ways that the countries are covered. And the problem with India now is that there's so much media and so much social media that every little thing gets absolutely obsessed over. And yeah, th- sometimes the context is just completely overlooked, right? It's mm-hmm. India hasn't stopped being India hasn't stopped breeding um, number fours, right? They just had a bunch of injuries and they hadn't quite given anyone a long enough go for injuries and for other experimentation reasons. Yeah, and plus, like I was mentioning earlier, when you look at those stats of India's number fours versus global number fours, you know, they're slightly above average. Then, of course, Sena countries, you see that it's topsy-turvy. Some years they're better, some years they're worse. And they're bang in the middle with, you know, compared to the rest. And when you have that all graph that entirely plotted with each country. So, I mean, it's not that big an issue. And I feel like India... You know, you mentioned the whole media thing. Then also maybe they've set higher standards for themselves. Mm. And when you can't really find any issues which are glaring, you go and nitpick. Maybe that's, you know, happening over here. But I think what is important... I think that the shadow of all this is that Mm. they haven't won a tournament since 2013. And they've had teams who should have won a tournament since 2013, Mm -hmm. right? And so you have to... It's very hard to go, they're chokers. Because that's not mm. really... It, it's really interesting because I'm doing that a big um, uh, retrospect on Double Century about all the World Cups. And Lance Klusner gave an interview. Uh, I forget the podcast. Chandresh, I think it was, who used to work for the ICC. Mm-hmm. He gave a really in- interesting interview where the the fascination, of course, with that is that South Africa were chokers. And that played in... That and the reign of the two narratives of the World Cup. <laughs> you listen to Lance Klusner and what he says is, all tournament, the bottom order carried that team. We never made enough runs up the top to actually beat the best teams. That is true, Mm. right? That is what everyone should have been focusing on. And I've been saying that for a long time, that it's either usually it's the middle order of South Africa that's quite weak and doesn't do its job, 
And occasionally it's been the top order. And we focus on everything else. We focus on the rain and, <laughs> you know, not picking Alan Donald in that game and all these different things. But essentially, it's the same pattern that they've had over and over again, that their ODI batting or their T20 batting has not been good enough from one through to six in order for them to win World Cups consistently. It's a, what, are, what are you going to do? They've already said for pretty much the last 10 years now that India is chokers and you know, anyone who's going to say that has said it in the media, right? So at a certain point, yeah. what you need to be able to do is actually discuss some other things that are easier to discuss. The number four issue, mm. they weren't making any runs for 17 games. That becomes an yeah. issue. Ravaged Asia hasn't made any runs for two years in ODI cricket. That has become an issue. These are not real issues because when it comes mm. down to it, they have talented players. And Ravaged Asia was fantastic before that period, right? If he's in bad form, yeah. he's in bad form. There's not much you can do about that. You can't drop him because he's Ravi fucking Jadeja, right? Like at, yeah. at a certain point. So I do think from that perspective, again, you've got this, there has to be a conversation about something, right? And, mm. you know, as a Denver Nuggets fan, we were, <laughs> I think as Denver Nuggets fans, we were pretty sure the vast majority of us that we had the best team, right? But for the last two years before that, there'd been injury problems. And because of that, we hadn't seen our best players out on the court, right? And our defensive numbers weren't particularly good. Right. And so what starts to happen is the Denver Nuggets fans start going, oh, we should trade this player. Or maybe this is not the right coach for us or everything else. Actually, what really needed to happen was just to run when no one was injured. Right. Hmm. And to trust in that they had actually built the team that we originally thought they had, which was a championship level team. Right. It's very easy to say that when you have a brain like mine that kind of works outside of things. Right. Hmm. Most people in the world and former players, journalists, media people, social media people are all the same. They're all inside the bubble. And for them, yeah. this is the most important thing. And I, I remember I, I was listening to a podcast recently and this guy said this really interesting thing. He said that he found this old phone and on it had all these old, I can't remember if it was emails or WhatsApps or whatever it was. And it was this time in his work when everything was like so important and this thing was, everything was going wrong. And he's looking back and going, none of this mattered. Why were we worried about this? <laughs> like he had absolutely no idea why it was an issue at the time. But at the time, it was all he could think about because he saw these hundreds of messages he sent. At the yeah. moment, that's exactly where Indian fans specifically are at. And, you know, Pakistan fans are in a similar um, situation when it comes to the spinners in, in, in the middle order. Mm. England fans have a, a little bit more confident because of what's going on before. Australian fans are a little bit like, are they just going to turn up and be good again? New Zealand fans are like, I hope Santner and Sodi and Ravindra can do something. <laughs> Everyone's got their things. But the difference is that I think we would agree that India just has the best team all around on paper. England might be better at certain mm -hmm. things, which make them a better overall team. But all around, India probably have the best team. There's only two options at this point. If this was 2015, I think the Indian media would be like, they can win this. They're, they're looking great. They're favorites. They should win this tournament. Mm. But because it's after 2015 and after 2016 and after 2017 and after 2019 and after, I know, the 24 tournament, T20 tournaments we had in the space of eight minutes, because it's after yeah. all of that, I think there is a natural look of, there must be something wrong with this team. There must be something wrong mm. with this team, right? And yeah. One thing I would say is I don't think they lost the World Cup in 2015 because um, they had, you know, a week number four. I don't think they struggled in 2019 because of week number four. You you're, you make a very good point that, you know, that they lost um, 
uh, they lost out there. But their number four was batting against really good seam bowling early on in the game, yeah. which is not really what you want your number four to be doing in a one-day game anyway. And they also lost their number, they lost the, you know, the whole top order, right, in 15 minutes. So Yeah, um, pretty much. The, I think the larger point would be they're not losing these tournaments because of this, right? But if, it, if choking is the only thing you could talk about, and, and I think the choking conversation is, I think it's there. I think it's a legitimate conversation to have. I don't think it's talked about the right way, right? As we've just talked yeah. about with South Africa, right? I, I, went, I just went through that last over today, the Lance Galizno over, or well, the last two overs, right? Australia mm. had three chances to win that game, and South Africa had two chances to win that game. Um, and Australia got there on the fourth chance. I think that's right. Run out, catch. Oh, sorry. You got there on the third chance. So they both had stuffed up chances to win that game. And eventually the narrative is set because Australia got their third chance and South Africa missed out on their second chance, right? Hmm. But there are very, very good conversations to be had about are the Indians playing a relaxed, free-flowing, confident game at World Cups? And I don't think they are, right? Yeah. I think I think that's definitely a thing. Yeah. And because when you... When you look at India and bilateral series, you look at them exactly. play with this certain kind of freedom and they are, you know, expressing themselves and they're going at faster rates as well. Their scoring rate is very, very good. But when it comes to ICC events, you see that scoring rate take a hit and I guess the pressure seeps in and the whole hoodoo conversation, I, I do agree that it's a very valid one to have. I have it all the time. I'm I'm also guilty of having the number four conversation, but I guess that will stop after this podcast because we've learned a few things over here. But I think that, you know, that's what fans and the media does. Mm. But maybe after a certain point, it gets into the players' heads as well. I mean, I'm, I'm not an international player, but maybe that's the thing, right? But I think it's very important to, as you debunk this in your piece, mentioned that since the last World Cup, if you look at each batting position's average, India is head and shoulders above the rest of the top teams in the world. And that tells you that India is an elite team. So there's not much to worry about, right? Yeah. And I think that I think there are teams that bat better at number four than them, obviously, and there are teams that bat hmm. worse at number four than them. But they are above... I, I think I looked at New Zealand, Pakistan, South Africa, England. Am I missing? Australia. Right, so I compared yeah. them to those teams. So those are the those are all the most realistic chances. New Zealand's a bit of an outsider, mm-hmm. but those are the most realistic chances of winning this World Cup. And those are the teams with the best solid batting lineups, right? Yeah. And on average, India was better in every single position than that group, right? Yeah. And so, what are you what are you then looking for, right? Mm-hmm. You, at that point, you are. You are looking for an issue that is not there because you need an issue to be there because there has to be a reason that India have been losing. And I completely 100% get that. As a, you know, I am still a fan. I'm just not a fan of, you know, in exactly the same way as other people. So I completely understand that side of things. But once you have a look at it and you just like, well, they outbat positions one, three, four, five, six, and seven. It's hard to then say to yourself, this team has a weakness because they don't have a weakness. And that may be the scariest thing to an Indian fan <laughs> because now you're just like, oh, uh, we should win this. And that's an uncomfortable place to be as well. I, mm-hmm. To go back to the Denver analogy from before, I felt much more comfortable with Denver until they started flying through the rounds, right? And then I was like, well, they are the best team. So now someone's going to work out how to how to bring them down. Whereas before I was like, if they're just plucky, they'll just keep fighting and they'll work their way. Your brain just does weird things when you're a fan. Yeah, definitely. And and I wonder how much that seeps into, you know, actual players. But anyway, 
Coming back to the number four's conversation, you've mentioned a few times now that India went 17 innings, you know, without a 50 at number four, and the average wasn't good. All of a sudden, though, we saw in the recent past in the Asia Cup in the series versus Australia, you know, they started clicking. And all of a sudden, you know, they were averaging 70 or north of 70 in those games. And before that, they were averaging less than 20. So is this just a testament to how the sport functions? Because at times or phases and periods, you'll be bad. And then all of a sudden, you'll be good. Because if you have the talent and the resources, they're bound to come good at some point, right? Yeah, I think that's quite an extreme pattern. But yes, that is how the sport works, right? Like we know that for yeah. a fact. Um, you know, we saw, if you go back to my piece on Basil D'Oliveira, right? Like hmm. averaging a normal amount, then he's averaging in the basement and then he's making all these runs again, right? That That is what yeah. happens. And I think that on top of that, India was experimenting and they had injuries, right? Mm. So they didn't have Rishabh Pant and Shreya Sire or even K.O. Rahul available to them. Yeah. So there's their first three choices for that position. It means everyone had a go. Like There was a huge list of people that had had a go of very recent times, right? And good players yeah. as well, right? And so they certainly had circled through all of those different players at that point. And I, I don't think anyone can argue with that. And generally, when you are circling through a lot of different players, you know... It, Ross Taylor is going to be pretty steady for you, right? Hmm. Rahane is going to be pretty steady for you over a long period of time. If you've got a guy playing two games in this position and not playing it again, um, and then someone else is coming in, then you're trying someone who's not quite a number four, but you want to give them a go. Now you actually want to try and make someone into a number four who you know is not quite a number four at the moment, but maybe will be in the future. Now you're bringing in a senior yeah. player, but that's when you often get those really, really low periods just because there's no consistency, right? There, there, you know, you, yeah. you don't learn. It, the one thing I would say, and I didn't write about it too much in, in the original piece of the video, is that number four is considered the toughest part to bat in T20 and one-day cricket, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason that it's considered the toughest is you're generally you're coming in around the end of the power play. And it's a, you know, so you've got that changeover period when, when you're coming in. And so you're either coming in when the ball's still doing a little bit and they're still trying to get wickets and you can't attack because you've already um, had two wickets go down. Or um, you come in just after the power play. The other team's best spinner is, is bowling. You're expected to knock it around a little bit. All the field is already out, but you're also 40 overs away from the, mm. the death. So you can't attack that much. It's a very, very tricky position from that perspective. Um, uh, I spent a lot of time talking to Brad Hodge about this and, you know, him taking me through. I, I, one day I'll get him. Actually, I might have already done this podcast with him, but, you know, <laughs> him talking about the many different reasons why it is tricky is so fascinating. And we don't give that enough credit, um, I think. So of all the positions, I kind of feel at a certain point, if you have openers in your country, if you just pick Phil Salt or... Jason Roy or mm. Dowd Milan, you know, they'll make runs eventually, right? I don't, I think yeah. number four might be, and number five is also a really interesting position. Those are the two mm -hmm. positions I think you kind of just need to groove yourself into and to work it out a little bit more. Um, I, I don't, have you ever batted number four? No, I was always like a, you know, number eight ish, number seven, number eight at best. So I've batted everywhere. And I would say that mm. number four for me is the one position that I don't quite get my head around as much. I, I, I don't mind being first drop and going out there at the first wicket. Um, I, you know, I batted a lot at six and seven, and I've opened a lot and, and obviously been a mm. tail ender, you know, in better teams and all sorts of things. Number four is one position that I've never quite worked out the same way. I do think that 
I mean, we'll probably change in the future and we won't call it number four anymore. We'll probably call it the anchor spot, right? Where you have mm. this person who can play this role and they won't always bat at number four because they'll throw other people down and all those sorts of things. But I do think there is something special about it. What I don't think is that there is a problem that India specifically has with number fours compared to anyone else. Yeah, no, definitely the numbers tell a similar story. But I think with respect to numbers four and five, Players are just expected to be very, very adaptable and dynamic even, you know, because there'll be situations in which you need to come out and hit the ball from ball one. And then in certain cases, you'll have to play, you know, or, or become that crisis man who digs your team out of a hole and, you know, steady the, steady the ship and then accelerate. So, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, uh, shades of mm. that position and you you need to be a very well-rounded sort of batter who can think across multiple sort of scenarios to perform in that position, I suppose. But coming to, you know, India once again, you know, you spoke about uh, spoke about how there might be a lack of role clarity also in these last four-ish years or even, a, you know, post-Yuvraj or whatever. And now, once again, we're seeing that India have all of these options at number four, you know, and we don't know exactly what they're going to go with. It's still a mystery. And obviously, uh, with, with respect to the situation of the game, someone might be promoted like Hardik or someone. So, role clarity. Do you think that is the first and foremost thing that India needs to focus on if they want to win this World Cup? I think it's too late if they haven't focused on mm. it already. But <laughs> I, I think that while we have 50 over World Cups and while most of the best players don't play any list A cricket and don't play that often for the national team, you're going to get yeah. some World Cups where you turn up and it, the players just aren't ready for the jobs. I'm not mm. sure that's necessarily going to be a case with India and number fours in this World Cup. But... We probably have between two and four 50-over World Cups left. It might be two, it might be three, I don't know. Um, You're making me sad. Yeah, I mean, we certainly have one more after this. So we have two, Mm. um, I would say. I would almost guarantee that. But after that, I don't know, right? But Mm. the more World Cups we play when people aren't playing 50-over cricket, means the trickier this is, right? Like, look at Ireland. Ireland put so much into their white ball cricket. You know, they're so upset they haven't qualified for this because they had focused so much on becoming a really good one-day cricket. They had two number mm. fours, right? They weren't experimenting. Yeah. What is going on? Oh, how? Now it's your birthday? We've got balloons on the screen. That is the crazy people thing. who are just listening in. But I put in. my fingers up. <laughs> Why are my fingers balloons? Anyway. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a Riverside thing. Maybe it's your new laptop. Um, I'm really... So now I'm trying to make it do things, but yeah. it's not true. Um, <laughs> th- the reason they had the two, though, is because they were trying to win all those games, right? And they were picking... Mm. Their, I, I always assume it was... Uh, uh, oh, I don't even know. Uh, probably would have been Lorcan Tucker and um, um, the other guy whose name I've forgotten who's really good. Um, but it's probably the same guys over and over again because, you know, that was the position... That, uh, not Lorcan Tucker, the other guy. Harry Tector is the guy I meant. Yeah, Harry Tector. Yeah, I don't know who their other number four was. I didn't check out. But they're Mm. trying to win every single game. That means that if you bat Mm. at number four for Ireland, you really know your role, right? Yeah. And that is not the case uh, for a lot of different uh, people when it comes to T20 cricket. Um, And so... Well, what about... Sorry, one day cricket. What about someone like Aidan Markram? You know, he, I think, is the modern-day Yuvraj with respect to the way he bats and he offers a bit with the ball as well. Averages probably mid-30s, goes at a high strike rate. I think that's the kind of number four you really need, though, yeah, don't but you, I, in the modern era? He's only just worked out how to play that position, right? Hmm. He's actually been struggling. Aidan Markham's a phenomenal talent. I don't think people realize how talented hmm. he is and h- how good he could have been and might still become, you know, later on. He's really disappointed so far in his in his career. and He's one of those few South Africans who has a World Cup trophy. <laughs> 
but but uh, but I still think he didn't play enough. But again, to go back to what we were just talking about, that South African top six, and I know they've moved around mm. a little bit. Rassi's been at three and four, and Klassen hasn't always been there, and Miller and all these. But more or less, that that top six, they absolutely know how to play one day cricket coming into this tournament, right? New Zealand yeah. have got players who haven't played a lot of one-day cricket coming in. Australia have got players who haven't played a lot of one-day cricket in their positions coming in. Um, you know, uh, even England have got an opener who's not normally an opener, right? That's what we're seeing mm. a lot now. And we're seeing that because people yeah. don't play enough one-day cricket anymore and they never will again. Sorry to break your heart. Mm. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm definitely seeing that trend. And even after, you know, that statement by Mark Nicholas, I don't know if this it was this podcast or the last one in which I mentioned it, but the MCC president has also mentioned it, right? That uh, you're, you're trying things yeah, again. Yeah, I was trying to Jared make the screen at the, do something. Sorry, at the camera. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, you know, because obviously we'll all be keeping a very, very close eye on India. And I guess just uh, on a closing note, also, sorry, you were mentioning uh, extreme trends in data. Well, Usman Khwaja's test career—that's one that I got off from you as well. That's also very erratic. But mm. one final thought, then, if you had to pick one number four for India to play the entire World Cup, would it be KL Rahul or someone else? Yeah, it doesn't matter to me if it's K.O. Raul or Shreya mm. Sire because I think they both can do the job. Um, mm. I probably think for Shreya Sire, I would have preferred for him to play more cricket coming in for me to be more confident mm-hmm. in him. It's not a talent thing. It's just that he hasn't done it as much as he should have. But his record is yeah. fine, as you said, he's bringing in India. So I don't have an issue with either one of those two players. Um, mm. And then, you know, they're, they're not losing by picking one over the other, right? Yeah. And so... I would say that K.R. Rule is probably going to do that job. And again, he's got all the skills um, to be able to do that. I, I remember he, he played in a one-day series against England, batting at number five. And I th- You know what I think in this regard is that if they... The, the, the selection call over here is do they play Ishan Kishan or Shriyas Iyer? And if they choose Shriyas Iyer over Ishan Kishan, they might go Iyer at four. I just have a feeling. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I, 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 mm. That's what I was going to say, is that I think because K.R.O. can bat five, right, mm. um, he probably, he, it probably makes more sense for him to bat at five and Shreya's eyes such, way more, um, one not one-dimensional, but way more a number four only type of player. So that gives you yeah. that sort of flexibility if you want to be able to do that. Mm. I've got absolutely no issue with that um, at all. And then, you know, Ishan Kishan can come in if there's an injury or if there's a problem with one of those other two players. They've got options. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, we've had enough conversation on debunking the myths that India is terrible batting at number four. Of course, they're not the best at it. But, you know, if anyone wants to look into this further, Jared's done an entire piece on it. Go check it out. And that'll be it for this episode of the Footmarks podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, Jared, for your time. And we'll catch us again next week with episode 21. For now, that's all. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Saina Payu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Do you make content but don't want to listen to yourself talk? Well, I get that. 
Memento FM's AI does all the listening for you. It picks out the highlights and it makes you sound far more amazing than you really are. Embrace Memento FM today.